Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, it's um, the beginning of school, right? It is. A lot of people are actually in, in, already started this week. I find it so early. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, summer has felt very short, Yeah, first of all. And yeah, first week of August, I mean, um, I know my kids start next week. Okay. And so we're gearing up for that, getting backpacks, lunchboxes ready. And <laughs> my two-year-old's going to like a you know, little mommy day out thing. And he's, he's, he's got, he always talks about his school water bottle. Yeah. And he wants to just wear his backpack and like prepare. Oh, good. I don't know if he... Training. Yeah, I mean, he probably thinks it's greater than it's going to be, but hey, he's excited. Well, so. I remember those days. It, I mean, yeah. you know, even growing up, it was always exciting going back and seeing your friends. And, yeah. um, you know, and then the second day is like, oh gosh, we have a long time until summer. <laughs> yeah, right. And then you can't wait till summer. And then, yeah, my kids are excited. I think, uh, um, yeah, we're doing, we're switching things up this year a little bit. My daughter, she's, we're going to do homeschooling with her. Ah. My wife to spend a little more time with her. Um, she kind of got lost in the mix of having twins. Yeah. You know, so it happens. that'll be a good year for my wife and her. And um, yeah, so we're looking forward to this this school year. And I think having a little bit more order. The summer summer was good overall with managing kids. But yeah. I like the order that school brings. So. The only difference for me for school now, both of my kids are um, you know grown and adult, is there's a lot of school buses out there between where yeah. I live and, and here. Oh yeah, get behind <laughs> one of those. It can be a longer yeah, ride to work. A whole bunch of blinking lights. <laughs> so, um, but we have a we have a great show lined up today. Um, got some really relevant topics. Um, you know, we're going to start off talking about uh, the R word. Yes. Recession. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I just want to make sure we're on the <laughs> go, same page. Here. Go ahead and give them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, really, you know, we had uh, technically two quarters of negative GDP, which is definition of a recession, which is definition of a recession. But what we're going to look into is maybe some uh, a more comprehensive way that the, uh, the the economy really thinks about a recession. So we're going to dig into that. It's a really good read from a, a Wall Street Journal article. And then we're going to go uh, talk about Social Security, Social Security, which yeah. is also important. Did you know Social Security only has two pages in there? All their rules? That's not true. That's not true. That's 1700 pages. Zach. Can you imagine? I mean, it's just it is very complicated. I, I mean, read people it every year. Yes, yeah, it's, it's what puts you to sleep at yeah, night, that's right? right? Yeah, but it is super complicated. So we've got eight must-know facts about your benefits, and um, you know it's amazing how many people don't understand Social Security, and and uh, we we study it a lot here and talk about it a lot as well. So you know if you're uh, in Social Security or even um, you know getting close to it within the next you know ten years, you know you want to listen. Yeah, check yeah. it out. And then good. and then we have. Um, the best prescription of the week ever. Wow. And I'm doing that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to be on the show with you while you're doing the best prescription hey, ever. It's a little technical, but it, um, gosh, it just makes sense. It does. Um, yeah. So, I think it's really helpful to remind yourself. We don't want to spoil it. That's I'll right. just wait. Just stick around. Stick around. Don't fast forward. No. <laughs> you can't do that on a podcast. Listen. That's right. Well, I'm John Travis. Uh, I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey certified coach, and I have uh, 30 years of experience in planning for both corporations and individuals. And I'm Zach Albanese. I'm a financial advisor and have been in the business for about three years. Yeah. This yeah. Is our second week in a row doing this. It is. Yeah. And you get to I, do it next week, too. And next week, yeah. You're such I, a pro. You're I'm, such a pro. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you listening to us today. Um, we're... Um, up every uh, Friday morning. Um, you can go to our website, moneymd.net. You can uh, listen to us 
really, anytime that you want, you can uh, download it in iTunes. Um, also, check out our website, moneymd.net. A lot of really good resources out there. If you haven't been out there recently, go check it out. And uh, we have a Facebook page as well. It's called MoneyMD. There you go. And I'll be on there this week with the prescription of the week. But uh, we're going to start off the show here with the financial fact of the week. All right. So financial fact of the week has to do with home selling. Um, when the pandemic started, so let's go back to you know, January 2020, the median sales price of existing homes sold in the United States was about $266,000. in June. 2022, I would say, John, what do you guess it is? But you're reading on the sheet, so I can't say that. But maybe you think about that for a moment. If 266. 20, 266 in January of 2020, what do you think the median price in June 2022 was? And if you guessed $416,000. You got it right. <laughs> you were right. That's a f- yeah. 56% increase. That's incredible. It is so incredible. Yeah. Um, that's just a massive amount. And and who would have thought that? I mean, if you were going through you know, the beginning of the pandemic saying, hey, real estate's going to take off from here, I mean, yeah. uh, no one would have guessed that. No. I mean, so trying to predict you know, what the market's going to do during this season or whatever, just you just don't do you it. You just never know. Yeah. yeah. So that very interesting. Good fact. And um, yeah. My guess is it's not going to be 56% in two years from now. Up. No. No, it could be. No, it won't be down either. But it's kind of slow. I mean, that's just... Yeah, it was a big boom. I mean, I, you know, we haven't seen anything like that. Um, well, the other thing is people have locked in such low interest rates now that they're out sure. looking. We, we talk to people that are like, hey, I'm thinking about selling, but then I've got to buy on the other end at a you know, much higher, higher interest double rate. Double interest so, rate. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that like a year ago, interest rates were in the high twos. Yeah. And yeah. now they're in double the 5%. Rate. Yeah. Yep. So Good financial fact. Yes. Recession talk. Recession time. So this was an article out of Wall Street Journal. I thought I did a really good job of um, talking about the recession and looking at it from several angles to help flesh out the complexities of how um, the kind of the, the statistics, the Bureau of um, Economic Statistics, what is it? The, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. That group. That group. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Anyway, good read. So anyway, John, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates last week by um, 75 basis points, their second 75 basis point hike uh, in the last couple months. And economic indicators have flashed signs of slowdown. Um, and they've, they've also brought about questions over what actually is a recession and whether the U.S. has entered one. Um, so we get, you know, GDP fell last quarter by 0.9%. The Commerce Department said... Uh, reported on that last Thursday. And so it was the economy's second consecutive quarter of contraction. So as we talked about earlier, technically, that's the definition of recession. But um, the National Bureau of Economic Research is the true arbiter of what is a recession and what isn't. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting because I've seen several articles now debating what is or what isn't that official recession. So I I like how this article lays it out. But yeah. Yeah, this and this group looks at an array of measures. It's not just GDP. They look at the timing of the peaks and the troughs of the uh, economic um, activity. Um, You know, there's transitions between expansions and contractions. And and most of the time, when you look back at the data, we don't often know that we're in a recession uh, until it's, you know, we're out of it. I mean, yeah. it's just after the fact. And so, 
you know, the markets are always trying to predict that. They're looking ahead. And um, I'll, I'll share an interesting stat from last week mm-hmm. um, as we go through this this discussion here. But, you know, the technicals, you know, that you hear people saying two quarters of negative GDP is a recession. So technically we're in one. But in a lot of cases, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. And so the, the reason this group is important because it takes a deliberate retrospective approach in making these announcements because they really, really want to avoid revisions uh, after they've made an announcement. And so since this group was created um, in the 70s, there have been six recessions and the starts uh, of the downturns have been announced from four months to a year after they've actually happened. Hmm. Um, in addition, the same thing on the other side of the recession, they tend to wait a few months to identify the trough after the bottom of the recession has occurred. Um, and so, you know, it's it's interesting because you they've got uh, several data points looking at and often you don't know you're in one until you're in one. Um, but it's good to know that it's not um, taken lightly, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And there's other factors that they're looking at as well. So, you know, even though we're, we're technically in a recession, we're, we're, there'll be more data coming out in six months, nine yep, months, a year right. from this group. Um, very, very technical group. But I mean, the, here, here are the facts. Um, you know, and facts are important as you start looking at this. There have been 34 recessions since 1857, ranging in length from more than five years um, in length. Uh, and that was, gosh, that was back in um, 1873. Hmm. I think before anybody listening yeah. to this was born. Maybe um, not. Maybe not. Yeah. Right in if you were alive <laughs> for the right. 1873 recession. Yeah, so five years. And then the shortest one was during the pandemic. Um, you know, in two months. Two months, yeah. <laughs> and then, so it's really cool. We have a chart. You can't see it. We can yeah. shuffle our paper like uh, Lim- Limbaugh yeah. used to do. There you go. But it shows all the different durations of, of the, 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 you know, the past you know, 150, 170 years of recessions. And it's very eye-opening. It is eye-opening because you know if you look past uh, the back a um, hundred years, if you if you get rid of the Great Depression, uh, almost all recessions have been less than one year, and the exception to that is the Great Recession uh, that started in two thousand seven and bottomed on March two thousand nine. Recessions have been uh, more infrequent in decades that in the recent decades. That's what's mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. is that earlier on, I think with the kind of establishing of markets and there is a little bit more shaky, but really in the last hundred years, except for again, 12 years ago, recessions have been not as bad as they were before that. So I found that really interesting from this chart that you can't see, of course. Yeah. But I mean, so going back to 2008, I I was, I was employed here and uh, it was, it was a challenge. 18 months doesn't sound long. It's not short. It's, you know, it's, it, and it takes a while for it to recover as well. So um, but that that was the second worst stock market since the Great Depression, mm-hmm. and um, so you know going through that 2008 um, was was very challenging. But it also kind of just puts it in perspective. Yeah, and and NBER's definition, and that's the National Bureau of Economic Research, their def- definition of a recession isn't as cut and dried and as as we may think, and really does leave room for interpretation. The group loosely defines it as a uh, quote, significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and lasts more than a few months. And so I like the way they they shorten that phrase. Um, <laughs> they can shorten it to three single words, depth, 
diffusion and duration. I like that. That's a good way to think about yeah. is this a recession? And so it's interesting in 2020 yep. what what they did to determine whether that was a recession or not. And it was actually the shortest on record. So it didn't really have the the duration. It was only a right. couple of months, but because the depth was was so deep um, and, and it happened very, very quickly, they did say that it was a recession. But you know, there's a lot of other factors they're looking at employment. Right now, employment's Solid, yeah. Right? I mean, unemployment rates are very. And I low. think that's probably the number one reason why they're they're hesitant. Questioning, yeah, right now to label this recession. Yeah, right. personal income is another factor they look mm-hmm. at. Consumer spending, manufacturing, um, and, and again, hang on with us here. We're going to get to the punchline in a couple of minutes. Oh, yeah. We're just kind of kind of giving you some of the technical talk associated with this. Um, we have seen over the past year growth has slowed in personal income and also manufacturing. Um. But uh, it hasn't slowed to the point that it's, um, you know, it affected the, uh, the unemployment rate. Yeah. And I think that is the, uh, the important part of all of it. And so what's interesting is that the um, Federal Reserve Chair Jor- uh, Jerome Powell said last week um, that even though, uh, and I guess he did, he did report this technically before the mm-hmm. announcement, but he didn't believe that the U.S. was in a recession um, because he pointed to the strength in the labor market saying that you know, 2.7 million people hired in the first half of the year, uh, it does not make sense that the economy would be in recession. Uh, so I thought that was interesting because he's you know, obviously been very adamant about these rate hikes, mm-hmm. and, and that's l- going to lead the economy into um, a slowdown at least. Uh, but it's, he makes that remark because job um, reports have been really good. And so... Yeah, generally, GDP numbers do have the tendency to be um, revised significantly after the fact, too. So even this first indicator that we have at the end of July, um, he says you tend to take the first reports of GDP with a grain of salt. And it was so close to being positive that I think waiting is a good yeah. um <clears throat> Is a good thing to do in this case. Well, and from an investing standpoint, I mean, so here, here's the takeaway on this. Um, you know, making your decisions based on what you're seeing in headlines is, right. is does not work. And as an example, last week, the Fed increased um, the interest rate by three quarters of a basis uh, or of one percent. Right, right. So yeah. 75 basis points. Um, on Thursday, it came out that the GDP was negative. Mm-hmm. Guess what the whole week did from the stock market? positive. Boomed. Yeah, it took <laughs> off. Yeah. All this, quote, negative news. Right. And so, and July was a fantastic month, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, listen, looking at headlines and making decisions on this, it does not work with the stock market. The stock it market doesn't. is looking out six to nine months into the future, trying to do some predictions. Can't do it. They get it right sometimes, they get it wrong yep. sometimes. But what's happening right now is factored in generally to the to the market. So if they if the Federal Reserve would have raised a percent versus three quarters of sure. percent. They weren't expecting that. The, the markets could have dropped from there. But, um, you know, I mean, whether we're in a recession or not, it, it's all going to play out in the earnings of companies. Right. That's what ultimately is going to drive the stock market. Yeah. And I think it is, like you're saying, it's based on expectations. It is encouraging that the market did well after the announcement, because like you were saying, it shows that this this was expected. Um, it and a lot of the stuff was priced in already. A lot of the the, yeah. the market uh, reaction was priced in already. And so as we think about whether it was a recession or not, I think the important thing is, especially if you have money and investments, is as we talk about all the time, staying diversified, staying in the market. You never know what's going to happen. And really the best thing to do over the long haul is 
to, to be diversified and stay invested because then you don't have to guess. Yeah, and of course, past performance doesn't guarantee future sure, results, exactly. but there's been 34 recessions in the last 170 years. The markets have averaged 10% return. even Including going, all those recessions. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, yep. it is part of investing. It yeah. can be difficult and frustrating, but it's part of investing. Exactly. So, so good discussion. That's a good discussion. Word. Yeah. All right, put that one to bed. So uh, and then we're going to do the question of the week. This is a good, very, very good question about, um, I'll read it and I'll let you kind of answer it. Okay. Um, should I stop working and stay at home with our new baby, even if it may take a little longer to pay off our student loans. Uh, my husband will continue to work, and we can live off of his income. You know, this is such a great question because it's such a great planning question. Yes. You know, we get these th- these sorts of questions all the time because there's no <laughs> there's no answer that is right for everybody. That's right. And so you have to look at your situation and see, yeah, what do you want? Um, maybe you maybe you love your job, and so you say, hey, I want to. Um, I want to go back to work, but obviously you want to take care of your child. So what, what can you do? Um, this really is up to you and your spouse, your, your advisor, um, to come up with something that makes sense and that's financially feasible. And, and so, so I think sometimes we think we have to do one thing or another, and that's not always the case. And this question is a good example of that. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, we're big believers in, in balance in life. I mean, um, you know, getting out of debt quicker or saving more for retirement is not a bad goal, but right. um, gosh, having time with your kids and family, yeah. uh, you know, that that is a lot, that takes a lot of weight in our view and in, in my personal view. So I would say in general, I would I would encourage someone if that's where their, their heart's leading them. Sure, um, yeah, if that's your heart's at. They can you can recover from the financial side. You you know you got to put a plan in place. But um, yeah, I would encourage someone if they're feeling that hey, this is right for our family to to move forward with it. Yeah, and what a bonus too. I mean, to as the question states, you know they they can continue to live off yeah the income of one. I mean, I think that's huge. And not everyone's in that situation either. Um, but if you are, I think it does present a really in, um, encouraging or um, need, need opportunity, great opportunity. Yeah to do that. And so I know that's what, um, you know, we do currently. And I did that. I mean, Tammy yeah. stayed at home with our yeah. kids and, and, you know, Caroline loves it. It was hard, <laughs> very yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, but, uh, she loves it and she loves being, uh, influential in them. Um, you know, every hour of the day. So yeah. good, 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 good question. Yep. All right. We're going to switch gears here to the, uh, social security and, um, eight facts you got to know about your benefits. And this is written by David, uh, Roddick, um, recently back in July. And, you know, Zach, when you start looking at the monthly payment from Social Security, it may not feel like it's a lot, um, but it, you know, a lot of times adds up for a couple over, you know, 30 plus years to be more than a million bucks. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's something that you, you know, you want to make sure you understand. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if you had to generate that kind of income, you know, have an inflation adjusted income, you may need a portfolio north of a million and a half to generate that. So right. you want to understand some of this because that's the kind that's of important. dollars we're talking about. So yeah. back in April, Mass Mutual tested about 1,500 Americans between the ages of 55 and 65 who had not filed for benefits. And they uh, targeted this age group because it's when most people started thinking about Social Security, um, which can be claimed as early as 62. And so the results um, consistently show that the average person knows little about government benefits, and 65% of the quiz takers received a grade of D or lower. That's not good. It's not. It's not. But, um, you know, it is complicated, so we're going to go through – um, you know, eight facts here and kind of talk about some of the ins and the outs. And, um, you know, if you have questions as we go through this, certainly reach back out to yeah. us, but I'll let you start off here. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one is that you can collect social security based on a spouse's earnings. And so, 
Um, you know, there are three potential Social Security benefits for married people. The one based on an individual's own work history, which is probably the most commonly understood. You have the spousal benefit, which can be up to 50% of what a higher earning spouse receives at full retirement age, which is 67 for those who were born um, in 1960 or later. Or there's also a survivor benefit, which is worth up to 100% of the deceased spouse's last payment. Um, you're only entitled to one benefit, whichever is the highest at a time, and you can claim a spousal benefit only if your spouse has filed for Social Security. Yeah, one of the strategies we see a lot is um, the high, higher earning spouse delaying claiming as much as possible because that's right. going to create a larger benefit for themselves and also their survivor. Yeah, so it goes term. for two life expectancies instead of just one. It does, yeah. and you know, if both people claim at sixty-two, it can be you know lead to lower you know lifetime benefits uh, based on life expectancy. Yep. And we often tell people, Matthew and I talk, talk to people, it's like if we knew when you were going to pass away, we could tell you the exact yeah right right answer. That's the but that is the that determining is, indicator. Is it if really we knew is. how long you were going to live, there yeah. that'd be uh, easier math. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So it, it is complicated. But but there are different strategies for this. And another fact that you need to know is um, benefits are reduced if they're claimed early. So you can claim it as early as 62, but your payments will increase 8% each year you delay before it's maxed out at age 70. That's right. So many retirees claim as soon as they they can, figuring they should you know get something while they can. And some sometimes that is the right answer, right? Mm-hmm. But doing so locks you into a smaller benefit for the rest of your life. And you know, it's especially important to increase your monthly payout if you earn more than your spouse uh, or if you're likely to live longer. So one of the discussions and one of the things that needs to factor in is health of family. Right. Like what is your family's history? And that does come into play when we talk about when to claim. Yeah. And so the next um, next fact here is that waiting until age 70 isn't always the best move. You know, at the other end of the spectrum are people who delay benefits as long as possible. Uh, a lot of people think they'd better wait until age 70 no matter what because they want the most bang for their buck. Um but during this time, they're actually missing out on income that they could use to, to invest. So delaying your, your um, Social Security does increase your payment, but it also takes time to break even and come out ahead. Um, the, so here's an example. The break-even point for someone delaying payments from age 67 to 70 is roughly age 82. And only half of retirees really live to that long. So there's no really, as you were saying, John, there's no single right way to claim Social Security at the right time. Uh, the ideal age generally depends on mar- marital status, your health, and your needs. If you yep. if you don't need retirement income now, yeah, then maybe delaying um, works out best because you know you have let's say you have the higher benefit, and that'll go through two life expectancies, and you don't need the income now. Sure, that's that's a great strategy depending yeah. on your situation. Absolutely. Another thing to to understand, and this is really misunderstood by most people, but Social Security can take back benefits if you continue working. So earned income can reduce the benefit if you're younger than your full retirement age. Um, but taxable income from a retirement plan or investments it doesn't impact that. So if it's W-2 income, basically, that right. impacts that we're talking about. So people younger than their full, full retirement age can earn up to um, $19,560 in 2022. And Social Security will reduce the benefit a dollar for every $2 you earn over the limit. And, um, you know, the year you reach your full retirement age, the earnings limit is more generous. You can earn up to $51,960. And um, Social Security will take back $1 for every $3 over that limit. And once you turn full retirement age, the earning limit disappears. But mm-hmm. here's the misconception is that money's not lost. No, no, yeah. They don't just take it away from you and never give it back. You will get it back 
because you'll have a larger Social Security benefit once you once you stop working. So it that's right. Kind of yeah. takes it away from what they've already given you, and it puts it on the back end. But it's not it's not lost, right? Right. And that's a mis mis misconception there. But the earnings restrictions. I mean, that can be a, um, a, a nasty surprise for someone who's unaware of the rules. I mean, Social Security adjusts benefits based on earnings only once a year. So it takes time for the agency to discover that you've earned over that limit, and they'll hold some of the money back. And um, the income starts coming in, you know, you spend it, and all of a sudden it gets cut off, and then you also owe back some of that money. Right. So you got to be careful with that and understand the rules associated with it. But again, we, we talk to people about working part-time all the time, and um, you know, if you have the opportunity to do that and take Social Security, you can do it. Um, but you know, it, and if you make more than those limits, it's just going to be put on um, when put you on do, later. Yeah, yeah, later on. Yeah. So, I think that's really important. That's probably the biggest misconception that I see. Yep. Um, another thing to to take note of is that timing matters um, for a divorce. So, if you're divorced, um, you may be eligible for a spousal or survivor benefit based on your ex's earnings history when you retire. Um, but the catch is the marriage must have lasted at least 10 years and you can't have remarried. Um, if you're going through um, an amicable divorce or nearing the 10-year mark, it's worth asking your soon-to-be uh, ex-spouse to postpone the proceedings until that turning point has passed. Um, I think that's that's really important to note uh, because that's a that's a huge benefit. It is. Um, if you find yourself in that situation. Absolutely. So. Another uh, fact here is non-U.S. citizens can collect benefits. Um, the question people consistently score the worst on is whether non-U.S. citizens can claim Social Security. The answer is yes. If you're legally able to work in this country and you pay payroll taxes, um, those benefits um, you've earned. Um, you know, So if they're taking Social Security and Medicare out of your paycheck, that's what kind of gives you the, the credits to be able mm-hmm. to claim in the, the future. Yeah, the next one is that benefits will shrink if Congress doesn't act. That's not a fun one, Zach. That's not a fun one because that will but affect me. Yes. And probably not you. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Hey. I've got a couple uh, years. Yeah, well, I mean, I just mean I got more than a couple years. That's that's true. Yeah. So currently, Social Security has enough uh, money to pay scheduled benefits in full only until 2035. Without additional funding from Congress, Congress payments could drop 20% or more something that nearly half of mass mutual quiz respondents didn't uh, realize could happen. So I think a lot of people, there's there's two sides of this. People who are afraid that it's just going to go away completely. Yeah. That's not true. It's just that that 20% drop that potentially um, won't be there for uh, younger folks like me when retirement hits. And um, I think just the best way to counter that is to plan for that. Yeah. Maybe don't plan that it'll be there. And if it's there, great. Yeah. Um, if it if it isn't, then you planned accordingly. So yep. And the last one here is Social Security actually lets early claimers do things over. So if you're already collecting Social Security and you wish you had held off, you have a shot to do over. You can claim if you claim before full retirement age, you can reverse the effects by withdrawing your application. So everyone has a chance, basically, to take a mulligan. Mm-hmm. You can change your mind within one year of starting payments. Uh, you would need to pay back everything you collected from Social Security up to that point, including any benefits of a family member. Who have received, you know, are a, a portion based on your earnings record. So, doing so lets you reapply at a later age for a larger benefit. But if you're past full retirement age, um, you can then do something called a voluntary s- suspension. Uh, basically, pauses your Social Security payments until you restart, uh, and they grow every year until um, you start them back up. So, you know, you, there is a, there is an opportunity to do a do over. We don't see mm-hmm. a lot of people doing that, but it's it's available. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an important. 
thing to note. So, all right. And the prescription uh, this week is, and this is the best one ever. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, I think <laughs> you I, alluded to it though. You you did allude to it I think earlier. I built this up a little. So <laughs> I think they're gonna. But this is important. So um, is. so th- the fundamentals of how a stock is priced. I'm gonna use IBM as an example. Um, IBM's stock is priced today based on earnings projections out into the future uh, infinitely. Mm-hmm. Basically, going out as as far as earnings can go, and then there's a calculation called present value calculation, pulls those earnings back to today's value. Yep. So if their stock price is seventy dollars, they're they're that seventy dollars is because there's a profit expectation next ten years, and the ten years after that, and the That's ten right. years after that. So when you when we went through the pandemic, as an example. And the IBM stock was down forty percent. I don't know exactly what IBM was down, but if it was down forty percent, probably that, accurate. That yeah, it's probably close. <laughs> that is saying that every single year their stock profits are going to be down because of what you're going through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So the question you have to ask yourself is: Is twenty twenty eight is the pandemic in twenty twenty really going to impact the twenty twenty eight earnings? Right. And the answer is probably no. Yeah. I mean, no one knows, but mm-hmm. um, the stock price is based on a you know future cash flows, future profits, and so when we go through dips like this, that's why it has always recovered. Is that event that you're going through, nine eleven, the tech bubble? It does impact earnings this year and next year, but in ten years from now, things are totally different, and it doesn't right. impact it, and so it typically yeah. jumps back up. And I think the volatility has to do with the uncertainty of how the current event will affect, like you said, future um, profits. And so that's why the stock market's volatile is because it's not thinking about tomorrow or a month from now. It's like you're saying, thinking about 10 years from now, 20 years from now. It's thinking about the longevity of this company and what it'll be worth. And so when you have to really project or see into the future, which no one can do, um, it's hard to value something um, with that level of uncertainty. So I think that's you get the volatility during seasons like this where... You're like, what are, yeah, what are higher interest rates going to do? What are, yep. uh, what's this uh, energy crisis going to do? And so, uh, very good. Yeah, but I always, I always yeah. go back to you know the event that we're going through. And again, uh, I mean, nine eleven is a great example. That mm-hmm. was very unusual. Um, was that going to change IBM's earnings ten years later? Um, you know, based on what happened in two thousand and one, right. and and generally the answer is no. And so mm-hmm. their stock price does take a dip, like everybody's takes a dip. Yep. Um, all companies, but it's always recovered because the current event comes into focus. It they adjust the current year uh, earnings, but then the twenty twenty eight in this example goes back to kind of what it was before. Yeah, so and that's why long term investing is just is the way to go because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But like you're saying, yeah. in five, ten years, history yep. has shown. Yep. And we and again, can't, you know, again, base past, off that. But past performance doesn't guarantee future right. results. But the stock price is based on future cash flows and the events of today typically don't affect something too exactly. years out. So yeah. Good prescription. So focus long term. That's right. All right. So this has been this week's edition of MoneyMD. Tune in next week to MoneyMD.net to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check out our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great rest of the week. Yeah, have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 